The following audio is a sermon from Sacred City Church. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts 2, verses 38 through 47. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. I'm going to go ahead and jump in. This is our kind of year in review uh, sermon, and honestly, I'm going to tell you, this is, one, this is a hard sermon for me to preach, because I'm not a guy who looks back. Uh, I drive my wife's minivan. I like it. I'm going to be honest. I really like it. I drive this minivan, and she's a lot shorter than I am, and one of the things that I never do is I never adjust the rear view mirror. Never do. Why? Because I don't use it. I don't look in the rearview mirror. I never use it. I'll use my side mirrors. But I'll, she gets in there, first thing she does, you know, and me, I'm like, no, I don't need it. I don't look back very often. And that's not good. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying I don't do it. And one of the things that you know if you're a parent is very rarely do we notice our kids growing, right? You don't know. All of a sudden they walk in and they're like, their pants are two inches too short. You're like, what? You've been going to school like that for like a month? right? You don't even realize it, right? They're just, they're just growing, or you do the little line on the wall thing, and you're like, what? You don't see them growing. It's just like a tree, like organic growth. You don't ever really notice a tree growing, but all of a sudden, a tree's getting bigger. It, it, you know, its trunk is getting bigger, and its leaves are getting fuller, and it's, it's growing, but you don't notice that. And I've noticed personally at Sacred City, I'm the same way. Like, I don't notice the church growing at all. I'm in my own missional community, and my missional community has got its own sins and its own struggles and its own difficulties and people coming to faith and all this stuff. And I don't notice what's going I really don't notice what's going on very often outside of that. And then the, the Sunday gathering, some weeks there's a lot of people, some weeks there's not. So I don't really know. I, I just don't, I just kind of think, yep, this many people, this was how many people were here last year and the year before. And we're not just, we're just kind of a church. We're not really growing. But it's when I have to go, okay, Rev, and Rev is my assistant. I need the statistics because he keeps track of all that stuff. I need the statistics. I need to look at the numbers. I need to, to know where we at this year compared to last year. And I, he sends me, and I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? And it, it's just like the line on the wall with your kids. They're like, they've grown three inches? Like, I don't even get this. And so we're going to look back a little bit and celebrate the Lord's faithfulness to us. Um, but we're also going to kind of look ahead just a little bit. So let me just, if you don't know this, I'm going to kind of catch you up real quick. Just over about, just about five years ago, my wife Amanda and I, and Amanda was the one, the lady singing up here, uh, we felt God, 
called by God to plant a church. Uh, we were young. I had been a youth, youth pastor for the past seven years. And we were in a place where we were really unhappy. Um, theologically, we were divided with the church that we were at. Um, and, but we honestly didn't. I was very young. Like I said, I was very immature. I had got, became a Christian about 17 years of age. And I was kind of a leader type guy, attractional type guy. So I was kind of put up on stage right away. First, you just do the announcements, all that kind of stuff in a big attractional type church and get friends in. And I was bringing people in. I was going to Augustana at the time and wrestling. And I kind of got put into a leadership position right away. And they, people thought I was called to ministry right away. So I started leading right away. Um, and then I took this youth pastor job and, and I just kind of was preaching what I thought was right and uh, doing what I thought was right, and God brought a lot of people, and it grew, but I really didn't know what I was doing, and then I started reading some good books and some good theology that, that God providentially dropped in my lap, and started seeing how so much of what I was doing was uh, not making disciples, it was not helpful, it was very much just about a, a gathering of getting people kind of excited and sending them out, and their lives weren't really being shaped by the gospel, and so I started getting really discontent. And the Lord started speaking to us about planting a church. Now, here's the problem with young people. <laughs> Many of us, we know what we don't like, right? We can point out what's wrong with stuff, but we don't know how to fix it. And we don't know how to, we don't know how to do things. Like, if you, you, if you notice this, like when, when, you're, when you got your first kid, you know, every, you know all the stuff you hated that your parents did, right? So you're like, I'm never doing that. But then you're making your own mistakes, right? You don't know what to do. You're just reacting from what your parents did. Well, that's kind of where I was at. I was going to just, I was reacting from what I was coming out of. So I didn't know what kind of church I wanted to plant. I knew that I wanted it to be a Bible-based church. Doesn't everybody, right? Uh, I knew that's, and I wanted some, I just, but I couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't know how to do it. And in all my searching, we came across this uh, network of churches called Acts 29, and I bookmarked it on my computer. And then uh, when, I, when I told our pastor that I felt called to plant a church uh, 10, 12 months down the road, uh, what happens often is I got, you get fired when that happens. And I got fired a week later uh, for that. And so now we're like, and there's some people here that, that were part of this. And so now we're like, oh, not 10, 12 months down the road. My wife is nine or eight, seven months pregnant at the time with Zoe, so I don't have a paycheck. I don't have a severance package. Now we got we got to do something right now. So uh, some people gathered together. And we said, "Let's start this thing." And we started. We started on a Wednesday night, just kind of a gathering, just a Wednesday night gathering. It was a lot of youth, a lot of college kids. We started with, but I bookmarked this Acts twenty nine thing and said, "I said, guys, I don't know what I'm doing. I can kind of preach, but I didn't even feel comfortable there because my theology was just getting rocked." And uh, I don't know how to, I mean, it was almost all college kids. I don't know how to get adults here. I don't know, I don't even know what to do here. I don't know how to form a church. Uh, so I'm going to go check out this Acts 29 thing, and uh, we're going to see what, what God wants us to do. So Amanda and I applied for and attended what we call an Acts 29 boot camp. And a boot camp is where a bunch of church, possible church planners or church planners come together, and they get some preaching and teaching, but then they get assessed. Okay, they sit down. And they get assessed by other church planners. And for a man and I, this was absolutely life-changing for us. The, the preaching blew my mind. Now, some of you guys, 
you guys might get it because you've been, hopefully you've been getting it for a while here that every text in the scripture somehow gets back to Jesus. I wasn't raised in that. Like if you preach on tithing, you just preach on tithing. If you preach on sex, you just preach on sex. Things don't get back to Jesus. Everything's just kind of a moralistic, things get lumped together. The only time you talk about Jesus is when somebody needs to get saved. Well, I was in this gathering for the first time hearing the gospel preached from every text and I was, my mind was just blown. And I was hearing the gospel of grace for the first time, and I, I was just overwhelmed. So I, I was rocked by that, by being under that kind of teaching. But then we get ushered away, and we sit down with these three Acts 29 pastors. And first off, I, I'll just tell this story because it's funny. They do this dinner where you're supposed to get to know your assessors, okay? And then when you walk in, they give you lanyards, and they give all the church planters black lanyards, and all the assessors get white lanyards, so you know you're sitting around a table with three, you know, like six church planners and three church, three assessors. And all the assessors are church planners themselves as well. And I'm just, I'm young and I'm arrogant and I'm dumb and we're planning this church. We've already started this Wednesday night gathering and we honestly we had about 150 kids coming. And this guy starts, this guy's got a black lanyard on like me and he starts asking me questions. So how was the assessment process? I was like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of rushed through it honestly, like. How was the doctor? all the doctrinal questions? Oh, man, you know what? I don't have time for that. I'm planting a church. Like, I, I, you know, I just Googled them and put, put some hands, copied and pasted it. I'm like, I don't have time for all that. Like, I'm planting a church. Well, w- what happened? How are you? And I told them the whole story about getting fired. And, man, yeah, it's, bo- you know, and, and I'm just going on. And, like, this just, you know, baloney. And, and it, it, this, it was just, you know, that, 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 that pastor, he's, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm just letting them have it, right? Just letting them know. Uh, where we're at. I'm not holding, any, holding anything back, pulling any punches. And uh, we're just sitting next to each other talking, you know, nobody else can hear us. The assessors are over there. And then they, they said, okay, would all the assessors please stand up? Guy right next to me stands up with a black lanyard. And my face just sunk, right? He just kind of looks at me and smiles. And I'm like, oh no. This is how the weekend's going to begin. I'm in trouble. And so the next day, they, they bring Amanda and I in, and it's a three-hour meeting. Um, we sit down, just Amanda and I, with these three Acts 29 pastors. Two of them were from Omaha. One of them was from Missouri. And they just kind of go through your pack. They, they ask you some questions, and they, 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 if you've been in a missional community, you've been gospeled, that's basically what happens in that moment. And they kind of press on any area that they see that there might be a problem. For me, they specifically said, Justin, uh, we see... All, all your tests, you know, your entrepreneurial scores, your leadership scores, they're, they're great. They're really impressive. They're above where we typically see, and so it's re- we're really encouraged by that. But what we're uh, concerned about is your soul. I'm like, oh, my soul is good. All right, let's go on. <laughs> you know, no, no, we're concerned about your heart because your whole history, you've never had a pastor. Now, I've had a guy who called himself a pastor, but he wasn't a shepherd. He preached from the stage. It's the only time I saw him. I never was pulled into the office and having a discipleship conversation, one of those come-to-Jesus conversations, right? This behavior is out of line. It's not in step with the gospel. We need some growth here. We need some change here. This isn't okay for a, a young man to be doing. This isn't okay for a pastor to be doing. I didn't have any of those conversations. I didn't have any shepherd. I didn't have any pastor. I had the gift of gab, right? I could get up and talk, so I was put up on stage and said, go do it. And I could get butts in the seats, People would come to listen to me preach, and people would give money, 
And unfortunately, many times in the church, if you can get people to come and you can get money in the offering, nobody's going to say a word to you. You're going to be successful. And for the first time in my life, I had men across from me who were biblically qualified elders, biblically qualified church planners, who looked at me and they kind of drew a line and they said, Justin, we love you enough not to let you plant a church right now. If you plant a church, we know, they said, this is what they said, you're a swimmer, we throw you in the deep end, you'll swim. You'll, you'll, you'll do it. But in three years from now, you might have to replant the church because you, you screw it up so bad in the first three years, and it might be really hard on your soul, really difficult on your marriage. You might burn a lot of bridges and burn a lot of people in the process. We're really concerned about this. Uh, we don't want you to plant this church right now. Seven months pregnant my wife, got no income, we got 150 kids, and most of these kids had come to faith in our youth ministry, so they didn't have other churches to go to. I looked at them, I said, I'm a pastor of these 100, there's no way I can do this. No, I can't do it. And they said, well, why don't you take a break, we're going to take a 15 minute break, we're going to talk, you go out and you, you talk to your wife. We went out, and I can't remember exactly how it happened, but by the end of that night, we told them no, and by the end of that night, Amanda and I had talked, and we prayed, and we were like, crap, this is what God wants us to do. How are we going to do, I mean, can you imagine this? You get fired, you start a, start a church, three weeks into the church, we got to go back and go, yeah, um, about that, about this church that we've kind of started rashly, we're going to leave. That's what we had to do, and that's what we did. And it was the toughest thing that we've ever done. We had never moved. We've never lived outside of the area. I went to school here. We've lived in the Quad Cities our whole life. But we came, we came back. They want, here's what they wanted us to do. They said, here's the first, our first uh, thing that we want you to do. Number one, we want you to move your family and do a two-year church planning residency with some church in Acts 29. So you can be under biblically qualified elders, be shaped, be pastored, and be equipped. And you can be out of leadership for a little bit because you've never been out of leadership in the last decade. I was preaching nearly every single week for a decade. And they go, that's option one. That's what we really want. Option two is you continue the church. You try to take some school. You try to get some coaching. It's going to be really tough to do number two. But we, want, we think you should do number one. But we'll give you the option to do number two. And then in a year or two, we could bring you back in and assess you again and be part of Acts 29. We said, all right, well, we're, we're willing to do option number one. So... Basically, I think it was three, three or four months later, it was a month after we, my wife had given birth to Zoe, uh, we moved to Omaha. So that next week, we came back to the, the church, and we said, guys, I'm sorry. There's a lot of tears shed that night. We, we love you. I pray you'll stick around. We'll be back in two years. That's what we said. Be back in two years. And it was really difficult, uh, but we closed up shop. And we moved to Omaha. That's where they ended up asking us to go, Omaha, Nebraska. It was a similar context, and they had some good Acts 29 churches there. And we were uh, a church planter in a church planting residency there in Acts 29. So it was, uh, now listen, I had never even, I had heard of Omaha. The only thing I'd ever seen of Omaha is when you're driving to Colorado and you go by some silos on the interstate. I'm like, that's Omaha? Nobody would ever want to live there. Right, you just drive right through. But we, mo we moved out there, and it was, uh, actually, it was phenomenal for us. It was a God moment. It was sanctifying. It was 
Um, I hate using the word life-changing, but it really was. It changed everything about us. I, for the first time in a decade, had been com- was completely out of leadership. We were kind of big deals in the church that we were at. Amanda sang, and I preached, and our kids were big de- You know, our kids were kind of big deals. They were, and we move out to this church, and we're nobodies. And I'm working at Whole Foods, stocking shelves at Whole Foods to try to pay some of the bills. And she's at home uh, with two kids in a third-story apartment, two-bedroom, third-story apartment. Uh, two, just think about that. Two kids, and you've got to go get groceries in a third-story apartment, right, with no elevator. It was a nightmare. Uh, it was a difficult season for us, but God did some amazing things. I was in a church planning residency there. I finished my education. Uh, it was challenging because we're away from family for the first time. We've got nobody. We don't know anybody. We're in this third-story apartment. But it was all, so we were really distant from everyone, and we kind of like, I, I got off Facebook, I got off Instagram, I got, I got off Twitter, I just kind of said, let's, let's close shop and let, let's let God work on our souls uh, while we're gone. So it was really, really hard for us, but it was also a time where we felt God's nearness in a way that we never had. We knew that God had called us to do this, and uh, it was an opportunity for us to just stop everything and let God do work on our souls. And we had no idea what he was going to do. We really didn't. Um, for the first time, I had time to read and study without having to preach a sermon, which was really good for my soul. For the first time in my life, I had an opportunity to develop friendships. I was never a friendships type of guy. I was an acquaintance guy and get on my program type of guy. I like to do things. Um, I like to get things done, but I didn't I had never just sat down and had coffee with someone. Now, this is just going to sound crazy to you. I had never sat down and just had a beer with someone. I had never, I didn't do that kind of thing. My wife and I were married, I think at the time, it was six years. We had had one or two people over for dinner, ever. We had a pretty much a closed home. We did our church thing out there, and then we had a closed home. And this time in Omaha, it just changed all of that. Uh, we, we became more relational. Um, the gospel uh, really just did some phenomenal work down in our souls, and I'm not being overdramatic when I said it changed our life. Um, about eight months into that, I felt like I was a completely different person. I felt like God had completely revolutionary, just completely turned me upside down. Um, I was weaker than I'd ever been. I felt like a failure more than I've ever been. I, was, I cried more than I ever did. Um, I felt more connected to my mo- wife, more connected to my kids. Uh, I felt more human than I ever did. And it was just a phenomenal work. And the elders that were shepherding me brought me, brought me together, and they said, um, hey, w- this is, we weren't planning on this. It's eight months into the residency. We think God's done his work in you in eight months. We we're, were planning on two years. We think God's done the work that needed to be done in eight months. And now we want you to start planning to take this back to Davenport. And so for the, literally for the next year, that's what I did. For the next year, um, I, I started searching scripture. I started reading books. I started prayerfully coming to God saying, okay, God, what do you want for Sacred City? How do the work that you've done in my soul, um, I've been a part of church for a decade, and I hadn't had the, the type of rest and the type of um, satisfaction that I found in the gospel. I didn't get it. How am I, what I've just got in eight months, how am I going to take that home to the Quad Cities when I know everybody's expecting me to come back and do the same old thing that I did before. Just get up on stage, preach to us, play some rocket. And we used to play, we used to play some rocking music, lights, smoke, 
big, huge thing on Sunday. You know, they're going to be expecting that. H- how am I going to do this? So for the next year, God really broke my idea of the church down, my concept of the church. And, and it was this, I used to say all the time when we were doing, planning this thing we call the youth church, this ain't your mama's church. This ain't your grandmama's church. Now I just low, I'm like, why did I say that? That's on the internet, like people know, you know, like, and you know, so I'm like, all right, you know what I'm going to do? We're going to go back and we're going to plant your grandmama's church. That's what we want to do. So really like that whole mentality of people aren't coming to church because it's not, I'm going to say this word, sexy enough. People aren't coming to church because it's not flashy enough. It's not attractional enough. It's not meeting their felt needs. It's not, I just, I just, God broke me of that there. And I thought, church is something completely different than that. People can go to a concert and get a concert. That's not this. That's something different than what this is. And I started being really provoked. And you know I could get provoked and I could get angry about things. And I, I had this angst that I thought, you know what? If I, a year and a half before, I thought, if I just had a million bucks, I could plant the best church this city's ever seen. All I need is a million bucks. I'll hire the right worship leader. I'll buy the right equipment, get this coolest building, have the, all, the, the best signs out, right? That's all you got to do. You got to hire a speaker. You got to hire a, pre- or a, a singer. You got to have some uh, great coffee in the back. You buy, kind of build out your brand, right? And then it fills up. It's the field of dreams mentality for churches. If you build it, they will come, right? And then what that mode is actually called, it's philosophically, it's called an attractional ministry model. You build this kind of awesome Sunday gathering and people will come and they want to be entertained and they want to be listened to it. But what it does to the pastor and what it does to the ministers is it puts them into this performance mindset where every single week they think in their head, it's got to be better than last week. It's got to be better than last week. It's got to be bigger than last week. It's got to be louder than last week. It's going to be more moving than last week. Where now... I've, I, some of the churches across town that are still in this mode, and, and I, I pray for them. I literally pray for them, and, at, and I pray that God would free them from that. But we've met with these guys, and they've literally said, so what are you doing for Easter? And I'm like, oh, we're preaching uh, the Bible, and we're going to sing some songs, and we're going to take communion. Oh, well, I'm coming in on a zip line. I'm sorry that you have to do that, right? That the gospel itself isn't the weight in the room. That the gospel itself isn't what's attracting people and grounding people and shaping people. That we have to get our gimmicks out and do f- foolish things like that. Absolutely foolish things like that. So I was really provoked by this idea. Okay, if I just had a million dollars, I could build a phenomenal church. And then I thought, well, as God was breaking me up, that, I'm like, is that even a church? What is the, ch- what is the church? What should she look like? And then, obviously, we just kept coming back and back and back and back to this Acts chapter 2. And we're probably going to come back to it at least once a year, every year, because we get a really good glimpse of the early form of the church in the book of Acts. So if you've got your Bibles, let's go there, Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to kind of go in and out of telling our story and looking at this uh, scripture. Acts chapter 2, it's a very familiar scripture, verse 38. Let's read it. And Peter said to them, So this is right after Pentecost. Holy Spirit fills them. 
speak in new tongues. Then Peter gets up and says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. It's for you and your children and for all who are far off. So if anyone repents and believes, right, salvation is theirs because of the work of Christ. Um, in verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. So he preached a long time. Let's just say that. Many other words. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. That's the thrust of his message. So those who, look, received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, okay? This is kind of where Billy Graham got, got his ministry, okay? Preach to open air, preach to big crowds, have thousands of people come forward, and people get saved. And that's true, they do. If you go see the movie Unbroken, or you've read the movie Unbroken, the big part that they left out of that story is at the end when he gets back and he's having nightmares and he nearly wakes up in the middle of the night, nearly kills his wife, and his wife, they're getting a divorce, and someone drags him to a Billy Graham crusade, and God radically saves him at a Billy Graham crusade, and he spends the rest of his life uh, serving God. And giving back. They, they don't show that in the movie. That God does save people like that. God does change people like that. But here's the problem with that kind of revivalist mentality. A revivalist mentality of the gathering or bringing people in and just preaching to them and then just letting them go. This verse or this story of revival and story of the spirit moving in people doesn't stop there. Okay. It doesn't stop there. And I think many of us have grown up in churches where that's where it stopped. If you come on Sunday, good for you. That's the church. The gathering on Sunday is not the church. It's a gathering of the church, but it's not the church. We're going to look right now and, and, and see this. This is going to show us what did the first Christian community actually look like. It's unlike any church that I've ever seen. When I was in Omaha, when I'm reading this, I'm like, I've never seen a church like this. I've been in churches for a decade and I've never seen this type of people with this kind of, this level of devotion, living in this kind of community. But this is what we're going to see. This is the recipe for a gospel-centered missional church. Let's look at it. Keep reading. And they devoted themselves. So 3,000 people get saved. Now look, next day, right? We're not going to see them go back to their life and, oh, saved. Good. Let's just get back on with life. Everything's going to be normal from now on. My life will not adjust at all. Listen, if you can imagine yourself right now as not a Christian and your life looks the same, I doubt you're following Jesus. Having an encounter with Jesus should revolutionize your life, should radically change your priorities, radically change the way you live your life. Look how it changed theirs. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That was the Didache that we kind of talked about, the set teaching, the set doctrine. Um, now we have the New Testament. We have the old. They already had the Old Testament. They had some of the writings to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Okay, fellowship. What's that? Gathering together. Okay, koinonia. Right, the community, the communitas. To the what? To the breaking of bread. Okay, so they ate together. This is having meals together. It's also the communion, the Lord's Supper, breaking the breaking the bread and drinking the cup. And the prayers, I mentioned that. They prayed together. They had set prayers that they would pray together often. And awe or fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now listen, all who believed were together. So if you didn't believe, you weren't together. If you didn't believe, you weren't apart. But there wasn't this thought where like, I believe, but I'm not going to join the community. There wasn't this step, well, I don't have to go to Sunday morning gathering. I don't have to go to missional community. I don't have to be in a community. All who believed held all things in common, right? All who believed, this is, the, this is what God did. This is how God revolutionized their life. They now lived in community and on mission together. They used to have that kind of family. Now this is our family. Keep reading. And they were selling, they were, they were radically generous. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, they'd go there to teach and to be taught and breaking bread in their homes. See, we see the gathering, public gathering, and we see the private gathering in their homes for food and fellowship. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And this statement right here, was a game changer for me. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, people were coming to know Jesus and joining in the community, not just on Sunday, not just at a big rally, not just on Wednesday. They were living their life in such a way that people were looking in saying, that's different, they've changed they have a deeper community, a deeper friendship, a deeper devotion. Something's different about this teaching. There's something different about the gospel than all the world religions that are out there right now. And I want to be a part of it. I want to know this Jesus, and I want to be a part of this type of community. And what we see is, it's not about a catchy sermon series. It's not about smiley, really you know, cute and smiley greeters at the front door. It's not about cheerful parking attendants, Right? It's about the gospel being preached by Peter, and the gospel that's proclaimed shapes people into a certain type of person, a gospel-formed person. That's a Christian, somebody who's been shaped by the gospel, and now the implications of receiving the gospel of grace changes the way that I live out. The implications of believing change the way that I live out. And that's what I came to discover when I was in Omaha. Okay, church planting isn't about starting a gathering. Church plant planting is about preaching the gospel, planting the seed of the gospel in the soil of a certain type of culture, trusting the sovereignty of God to bring about a thriving church. The gospel does the work. The spirit does the work. God gets the glory. And we see that here in our text. People believe the gospel, God changes their, their identity, and then they live a different way. Now, what does that mean? Every other world religion is behave to be accepted. Now, how, how do we think about that? It's like this. Act like a son, and you'll be treated like a son. Act like a daughter, you'll be treated like a daughter. What do you mean? Be good. God will smile, God will be pleased, God will be happy with you. Behave and become every world religion. And I'm sad to say the church that I grew up in preached that false gospel. It's a gospel of moralism. God loves good people. If you're good, he will love you. When you act bad and you misbehave, God does not love you. That's a gospel of moralism. 
work hard, perform to be accepted. Now, what we see here is the gospel is completely upside down. It flips the lid on that, and it says through the gospel, because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death, that Jesus Christ procured for us a new identity. So he says, now you're adopted, your son, your daughter, you're given this by complete grace, now live like it. You see this through the whole New Testament. Become what you already are. That's that's what it means to grow in the likeness of Jesus, sanctification. Become what you already are. You are a son. You've been saved by grace. You have this new identity. You are part of a family. You are a missionary. You are a servant. You are a disciple and a learner. Now go live like that. You don't have to behave to become it. You already are, so now now live like it. Now let the rhythms of your life reflect it. Right? So, we see this right here in Acts 38 through 46. We see that they're devoted. They, they, they get saved, let's say, right? We can use that language. They get saved. 3,000 people get saved. They get saved, and then right away, they get brought into this community where they're devoted to the teaching, right? Preaching is important. Teaching is important. They're devoted to the fellowship, the family. They're eating together. They're praying together. They're being radically generous, praising God. And God was adding to their numbers. So they were also missional. God was adding to their numbers daily. Now let me say, I'm just going to, that's church. This is church. It's not a Sunday, just a Sunday gathering. It's not a building. It's not a 501c3. (laughs) You know what that is. It's a nonprofit organization. The church is a group of people. It's a family of missionary servants. And what we see here, it says this, awe came upon every soul and the the apostles were doing miraculous things, but it doesn't really tell us right here what those miraculous things are. But what it does show us is very normal things. They were eating together. They were praying together. They were sharing life with one another. They were meeting each other's needs. They were devoted to the word of God. They were devoted to it. Normal things. And listen, this is what I started to see when I was in Omaha. We are a society that's addicted to the spectacle. We want something amazing. That just pops in my head. I got a lot of kids in the Incredibles movie. This little kid's riding his bike and he walks up and he's watching this you know, this big kind of superhero guy. And he's like, what do you want, kid? He's like, or what are you waiting for, kid? He's like, something amazing, I guess. Like, he's just, I just want to see something amazing. I feel like many times that's what people want. Like, and preachers go, this week's going to be amazing, life-changing, phenomenal. Can't wait for Sunday. It's going to blow your face off. And we get there and we're like, eh, Right? And what is he talking about? A light show? A guitar solo? Right? What was he talking about? What's going to be so amazing? And what we see here is the amazing things are ordinary people living ordinary lives with gospel intentionality. We see people who've been selfish their whole life, and that's all of us. We've been bent in. Incurbitus in se is the Latin word for being bent in on ourselves. St. Augustine talks about. We're born bent in. We care about us. We care about our needs. We are selfish to the core. Now, we do nice things to, to make us feel good about ourselves most of the time, right? 
but we're curved in on ourselves. And what we see here is when the gospel gets preached by Peter, repent and believe, these people who are turned in on themselves somehow get turned inside out. And now they live not for their own needs, not for their own happiness, not for their own desire, but now they're, li- they're li- li- living for other people's happiness. They're living for the community. They're living for the people. They're living for their neighbors. They're living for Christ. It's not about them anymore. It's about God and his glory and his mission. It's not spectacular. It's normal. But it's supernatural. Do you see what I mean? It's not a big show, spectacular in that way. But when you see people living radically self-sacrificial lives, and they're happy about it, and they're joyful, it's attractional. Something, you look and something happened there. And only the Spirit of God can do that. Only the Spirit can change people's hearts like that. So what we see is it's not a spectacular. Uh, um, it's, uh, it's not a spectacle. There we go. It's not a spectacle. It's nothing spectacular what it looks like, guys. And this is what I, it looks like a family. Eating together, praying together, sharing Teaching, it looks like a family. And so I I thought, okay, if the church isn't supposed to be a show, shouldn't feel like a show, worship shouldn't feel like a performance, worship should feel like something we're doing together. That's why we don't, that's why we have the band back here. I'll just tell you, that's why we have the band back here and we don't have Joel up here rocking it, beating his chest, okay? Because it's not about Joel. It's not about the band. We're worshiping God together. God's the one this gathering is all about. I'm, gonna, I'm on a soapbox today. God is the one this gathering is all about. Listen, you know, I heard there's churches all across the country who took yet last week off. Okay? And listen, why do they take last week off? Some of you are taking this week off. Why? Statistically, across the country, last week is the lowest attended, one of the lowest attended Sundays of all the year. Right? It's so after Christmas, family's gone, whatever. So people don't show up very much. So many churches just said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to cancel the gathering and we're going to give our people rest. And listen, if the gathering is about us, I get it. Oh, you know, you're tired, you're serving, you've been with family, just stay at home and chill. The gathering is about God. This is for His glory, not it's for our good too, but it's for His glory. God wants people to worship him. He's a missional God. He's the one who created us and wanted to walk in the garden with us. We're here for him. We don't come here to get something good, a warm fuzzy, or to help our life. That is a byproduct that happens down the line. But we exist for God and for God's glory. How, If you have that mentality that the gathering is about the centrality of God, it's about God, how could you ever take a week off? Right? I, I, But this is something that I just didn't come up with. The Spirit of God really changed me because I get it. Five years ago, I would have been like, yeah, let's take a week off. Man, I'm tired anyways. I don't want to have to preach again. It's hard work to preach. Everybody else is enjoying their holidays, and i got to preach Christmas Eve, and i got to preach three days later, and i got to preach. I'm like, oh, you know, i got to find time, and I'm, it's hard. It's hard. Now, what we see here in this text so I get back to the scriptures. What, what, what we see here in this text is God in the gospel answering our two, two of our deepest needs as human beings in the church. 
right? Now, what do I mean by that? First, every single person, if you don't, you might not know it, but every one of us long, we have this hole in us that desires a perfect, loving father. All of us. If you had a really, really, really good father, you might not feel that ache as much as somebody who didn't have a father. It's called a father hunger. Someone who had a bad father or someone who didn't have a father, you, you, you might be really aware that you have a big hole, that you have a need for a loving father. But if you had a really, really, really good father, you might not notice that. Any, but we're all built to have God as our father, to have him meet our deepest needs for identity. Like, that's one of the things a father's supposed to do is say, son, this is kind of who you are. You're a part of me. You're a part of this family, right? This is what I, th- I think God's given you this gift, and this is kind of how you're shaped, and I, I think you'd be really good at, you know, school or really good at athletics or really good at this. Or really, We're meant to shape our kids and shape their identity. That's something we're supposed to receive. But ultimately, all, of, all fathers are fallen. All fathers are sinful, so we all mess up. So we all have this kind of hole that needs to be met by an ultimate father, which is God. And God, in the gospel, answers that for us. And then secondly, we want a family. Like, we're, we want a community. We want brothers and sisters. Why? Because God himself, our creator, is a trinity. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's a community himself. He's a family himself. He's Father and Son, so he's a community himself. He's made us in his image. We long for family. We long for community. But because of our sin being curved in on ourselves, we desire to build our lives on something other than that. We desire to have a different, we don't, we don't want God as our father sometimes. We don't want the church as our family. We don't really connect very well with people. What do we do? If you're like me, we, you compete. You, you don't really relate very well, you compete. We want to define ourselves because we don't get an identity from the father. So now we have to create our own identity. So we have to define ourselves over and above our neighbor's. We think we need to earn the approval of God by being better behaved and more accomplished and more educated than those around us. This desire to define ourselves by our accomplishments has made our society into one of the most radically individualistic societies the world has ever seen. But listen, through the gospel, when God adopts us, He adopts us into his family out of sheer grace. He doesn't adopt us because of what we have done or because of what we will do. He doesn't go go to the adoption agency and look and go, you know what, I'm seeing into the future and I know that baby right there is going to be very talented. I'll take that one. You know what, this one's going to be phenomenal at making money. I could really use that guy on my team. I adopt that one. Where you stick with that analogy, we go and we find a baby in the orphanage that just overnight has died. And we see a dead, sad thought, a dead baby in the orphanage and God goes over and God says, I want that one. And God resurrects that baby and gives it new life and brings it into his family. That's how God adopts us. He adopts us dead and he gives us brand new life all by grace. Not because of what we're ever going to do or ever have done or any potential we might have. He does it by sheer grace. He loves us because he loves us. It's crazy. Now, 
in our, in our adoption, the only thing we bring to our adoption is the need to be adopted. The only thing we bring is our loss. The only thing we bring is our lack. We don't have a father. We need a father. So in this adoption, we get a sense of the, we get a new sense of this, the graciousness of God and the all-satisfying love of God, which this is what it does. When you get that, when you grow up and you understand that you are that child who, di- who, didn't, who was dead and didn't deserve anything, but God adopted you into his family, it gives you a new power. The Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. In Colossians 2, it also, or Colossians 2, it also says that the gospel is spreading through the whole world, even in you, and it continues to grow. That the gospel is always on the move. It's always changing us from the inside out. And one of the ways it does that, it gives us this totally new power to live differently from those who aren't aware of this grace. If you're not aware of the grace of God, you are not able to live the way that Acts 2 shows us, the early church lived. This is only enabled through the gospel and through the Holy Spirit by being so aware that we've been adopted out of sheer grace. Because why? God's answered our two greatest desires. One, we have the Father. But the Father is given to us by grace, totally through the work of Jesus. I haven't done anything to earn it or deserve it or merit it in any way. I have God's acceptance. I have his love. I have his approval. I have been chosen and adopted by sheer grace into his family. Listen, you, we should have, an, we should be excited like, he picked me. There should be a sense of gratefulness and excitement and awareness that fills up our worship, that fills up our time alone with God, that we go to meet with him in the scriptures because he picked me. And I know how jacked up I am. I know how fickle my heart is. I know how cold I can get. I know how isolated from people and from community I want to be sometimes. And God picked me. He went to the orphanage, he saw me in all my brokenness, and he said, yes, I want to make him mine. That melts my heart towards the Father. And secondly, we have a new family. We have a new family. We have new brothers and sisters who don't compete with one another for the Father's love. We're not in competition. So what does that mean? When you're not in competition, you don't have to define yourself over and against and over and above those you're in community with. You don't have to try to feel superior to one another. You're siblings by grace. What is that? My brother has been forgiven so much, so when I sin against him and need to be forgiven, he freely forgives me. I've been forgiven so much, so when my brother or sister sins against me, I forgive them quickly because I've been given so much by grace. I don't need to hold it over their head. Grace makes us different. The gospel empowers us to live differently. This is what the church is. I don't need to compete with others. I already have God's approval. I don't need to save face and look good in front of others because my acceptance by God is not based upon my behavior or my reputation. So I'm free to openly confess my sins. I'm free to share my weaknesses. And I'm free to love others without a demand upon them to return my affection. This right here, and I'm going to say, I think 
God, through the Spirit and the proclamation of the gospel, God has been doing a phenomenal work at Sacred City. This is kind of an intangible thing that you can't really measure. But I think our church gets the gospel enough over, you know, you know, spread out. I can't say every single person. But for the most part, we get the gospel enough that we are a radically open community in our missional communities, that we share our weaknesses and that we don't have to compete with one another. And it's one of the most shocking things to people who kind of come from a religious background. They come from a more religious church where you had to put on the face and you had to Facebook it and act like everything was okay. And you couldn't admit that you're having a difficulty with your wife or your husband. You couldn't admit that your kids are going crazy. You couldn't admit that you've got sin still, that there was this real religious, moralistic lens that you had to see everything through. I feel like people that come from outside and they step into our missional community, they get shocked by how open we are with one another. How, why? Because we don't, we already have the Father's approval. We already have a family. We're a family by grace. The only way you get into the family is being a jacked up sinner. So guess what? We already know you're a jacked up sinner if you're in the family. Now that we got that off the table, let's just love one another. It's not that easy, though. Grace, a community. So let me just think about this. I think God is, and I didn't know the streams that were going in the culture, and I just went back to the Bible and said, all right, this is what I think we need to do here at Sacred City, and we want to come back, we want to plant this type of church. But now that I look back on it, I can kind of see these streams that are flowing through our culture that we are not flowing with. We're pushing against the stream. We're going in the opposite direction. And I think we're going to be strategically placed. I'm just going to let you know this. I think Sacred City is going to be strategically placed over the next five, ten years to make a huge impact in the Quad Cities because of what the, go- what the gospel is already doing in us. And, and I want to say in, in a couple different areas. Number one, our society is filled with actors. Everybody's an actor. We're narcissistic. You know what narcissist? You, you knew narcissist was the Greek myth. You know, right? Like he he fell in love with his own reflection in the water. He fell in love with his own selfie. Then he died. Right? We're a commu- We're a world filled with actors who nobody knows. Everybody is jacked up. Everybody is longing. Everybody is broken. Everybody is lonely. Everybody has these huge aches in their soul, but when we put it on Facebook, we look like we're super happy, right? We're actors, and Facebook is our stage. The internet is our stage. Our pictures are our stage. The way we present ourselves on Sunday morning could be our stage. We're a world filled with actors, and everyone feels lonely and empty, Well, not in the gospel, not in the church, not at Sacred City. We know we we can be a community of authenticity. We can be authentic. We can say things like, we are broken, and our kids are sinners, and we're sinners, and I'm lonely, and I'm depressed, and I have struggles too, and I need the gospel, and I need you to tell me the gospel daily. So our culture's flowing. You have to act. You have to perform. You have to fake it till you make it. And we can stand in the middle, and we go, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And when you're ready to admit that you're jacked up too, come and live on mission with us. Come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think our society is rushing, and nobody's happy being an actor. 
Because then you're always like, you have to keep it up, right? They don't love me for who I am. They love me for this person I'm, this, I'm personifying, this person I'm acting I am. So you have to keep this thing up. Nobody really knows who I truly am. That's one. Secondly, uh, that, it's, that we're going to be a community where, and I don't know how to say this, and I might say it wrong here, that we're a community where it's okay to fail, but it's not okay to be a failure. Okay? What does that mean? We've been given a new identity in Jesus Christ. First off, we admit we're failures in one sense. Like, we couldn't measure up. We're not good enough, so we need the gospel. But then God gives us a new identity. So now I'm a son or a daughter, and I'm a missionary, and I'm a servant, and I'm a learner. This is who I am. I am not a failure, but I do fail. And we can be freely, you know what? I failed. I spoke when I shouldn't have spoke. I didn't speak up when I should have spoken. Whatever, you got it. I should have spoke up, right? Um, I sinned there. I sinned by what I did. I sinned by what I didn't do. It's okay to be a failure here. You don't have to act like you're perfect to to fit in and to be accepted. And then, second, and then lastly, and these are just some really simple things. We, we, we want to be a family. We are a family. We want to be a family who loves to be with dad. We, we really love dad. We really love our heavenly father. We're really into him because he's really into us. And, and we want to be with dad in our gathering. We want to be with dad in our own time. We want to be with dad at the missional community. But what dad does is he brings us together in a family. So we want to be with our brothers and sisters. But here's the deal. This is what's so phenomenal. If you grew up with a great family, good for you, right? Your friends and your neighbors and your family, they looked in and they longed for it. But what are you doing? Like, we don't, we're not taking applications. I'm sorry. This is my family. We're good. And yours really is bad. You're right, right? I grew up with friends all my life that wanted to be in our family. They'd come over, they'd eat all, all of our little Debbies, they'd stay for like a week at a time, play video games, and we'd have to kick them out. Go home, man. Take a shower, please. Right? But, listen, we're different. We're a family who has a loving and gracious Heavenly Father, a gracious dad, who wants to bring other people into the family. And we enjoy each other, we enjoy him, we enjoy our family so much, we want to bring other people into the family. Right? That's what it means to be missional. We want, to, we want other people to know dad. We want other people to be our brothers and sisters. So we use any means necessary. We use fight nights. We, people have fight nights at their home and they watch the fights. Bringing in neighbors, bringing in friends, rubbing shoulders with people for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. We use, I've got a gym that we, we do CrossFit together to bring people in. Three or four people over the past year have come to faith there, joined our community, joined missional community. Uh, we used to, women used to have Make It Monday nights. I know we used to have mi- mi- musical missional nights. We've, got, we've done all kind of stuff. We go to coffee with people. Any means necessary, we want to bring people into the family of God to know this great dad that we have. That's what it means. Gospel-centered family on the mission of God. So when I read this, and I just kept reading, kept studying, kept praying about it, I said, all right, now, Lord... <laughs> Now you showed me what, what we want to look like. I, I was reacting before. Now I see it in Scripture. This is what we want. This is what the Quad City needs. This is the type of church the Quad City needs. This is what I feel like you're telling us to go do. Now how do we do that? So what we did, I felt like in order for this to happen in the Quad Cities, I needed to make everybody uncomfortable. Because everybody, if you say we're planting a church, they think 
in their head, whatever their idea of church is, that's what you're going to do. So then they join the team and they spend the whole, all their energy trying to get you to be like them and plant a church that they like. So he said, no, I'm not going to do that. Let's completely change the verbiage. Let's just make everybody really uncomfortable. They're not going to know anything that's going on. Hey, we're planting a missional community. Missional community. What is that? So we started coming back in 2010, once a month, and we started having this missional community gathering. Many of you are part of that, part of a missional community now. You kind of get what it is. There are communities of 10 to 30 people. They gather together weekly around the gospel, learn together, eat together, pray together, celebrate together, share life together, live on mission together. And then, uh, so we, we, we did that, and then we moved back in 2011, and in July of 2011, and we launched two, out of that missional community, we launched two missional communities. So we came back, we had about, I think probably about 30 people, 15 in each missional community, about, maybe it was a little bit less than that, and many of you were there, many of you were part of it. We've launched those two missional communities, then I said, okay, what's the next step? Let's do a closed Sunday gathering so we can shape people theologically and we can shape them around the liturgy and we can just really uh, show them how we're not the church that they thought we were going to be. Remember, everybody's expecting light shows, everybody's expecting guitars and excitement and then we started this little closed gathering on Sunday night down at a connection church that, well first off, let me show that, show me that first picture. We got a picture up here first. When we first came back, we had a little gathering where I was going to teach on what a missional community is, what the vision... Oh, that was it. Go back. Go back. There it is. In the Catholic, a Catholic church, Catholic school on Iowa Street, uh, Sacred Heart Cathedral, the school that's back there. And we had, I don't know what that is, about 25, 30 people uh, in this little informational gathering. This is what we're going to be doing, passing some stuff out. Uh, that's Jesse. You can see his bald head there shining, shining like the sun in the middle. <clears throat> and... A few, a few of you folks are probably in, the, in that thing, and that's what we did. We had about 25 or 30 people there. Then, go ahead and go to the next slide. Then, this is us at the connection. Now, you can see the whopping congregation that we had on a Sunday night. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe this, there might be 20 there. There might be 20 folks there. This is a Sunday night. It's liturgical like this. We're doing, we're, basically, the gathering is exactly the same as it was, except um, I'm preaching to 20 people. It was very quiet. Let's just say that. And my sermons were a lot shorter. So that was, uh, that was our closed Sunday gathering. Now at this time, we had people calling me. Whoa, I'm late. Okay. We, I'm sorry. We had people calling me and saying, we want to be a part of this church. And I was like, no, I'm sorry. We can't do it. Uh, we're not open yet. We're closed. We're just trying to shape people to be disciples. We're doing missional community. And once our missional community is multiplied, then we'll go public. And so we were closed gathering at this time. And then in January of 2012, we launched, we, we'd multiplied missional communities. So we had three missional communities, three whopping missional communities. And we multiplied. And then once we had three missional communities, we said, okay, now let's start the public gathering. So we gathered here for the first time, January 1st, two, 2012. Everybody said, don't plant a church. Don't start a gathering on January 1st. We said, whatever, we're going to plant it. Go to that next slide. That was us. Looks all oh, you can't really see. There's probably, there's not too many people. There's nobody in the balcony. Total, I think we had uh, 62 adults and 20 kids um, at that service. 69 adults and 20 kids. And the next week, our numbers went way down. Like that was like hoorah. 
but that was three years ago. And then, do we have one more slide or no? Was that it? That's all three, right? That's all the slides. Cool. And now I want us to kind of give an update. Just want to give a little update of where we are and what God's done for us. Because like I said, uh, many of us don't notice when the tree's growing. We don't notice when our kids are growing. Um, when I look out at you guys, I'm like, yeah, this is about the same number as who, who were here last year. But it's, it's not at all. Uh, in our gathering, la- uh, 2013, our average gathering was 134 people. And this year, our average has been 170 so that's like a 20 26% increase over, um, over last year. And that's why many people are asking us, why are, we still have seats. Why are we planning on planting a church in, in Moline? Two reasons. One, theologically, because we believe when you p- preach the gospel, you should plant a church, right? This is what we see happen. Churches just spring up. And the Illinois side of the river is a little different than over here, and we want to be able to contextualize the gospel well over there. So we want to plant a church. So that's one, theologically. Secondly, is if we grow by another 26% next year, this time next year, this place would be packed and crammed. And more, and even worse, is the parking situation, right? Uh, the parking would be overrun. So that's so that those are the two reasons. We have a theological reason. We have a practical reason. And if God doesn't want us to do it yet and we'll wait it another year, then that's what we'll do. Missional communities, we had five last year. Uh, by God's grace, we have eight. We actually had nine, but then we, we closed one and spread it around. And, and we're going to be starting another one here really soon. So we have eight missional communities. We have 175 people. Uh, involved in missional community. And honestly, I think that number is just from the city. So I, we, we know that there's friends and family members that come to MC that aren't even on the city. So you can see we have more people in our missional communities than we do in our gatherings on Sunday morning. And that was a prayer that I had, as, that people are living in community and on mission. Now, I want everybody to be at the gathering, right? I want that. But I'm really stoked that they're living in community and on mission. Uh, we've got 25 folks in Porterbrook, Omaha. We've got four that graduated this year. We've got three more that are going to graduate this year, I think. Um, our family growth, so we're covenant members here at Sacred City. God brings us into a family. We, sh- we should all be members of that family. Uh, we had 38 new members this year. Uh, that's uh, 92 total members. I think that was another like uh, 30-something percent growth in membership, which is phenomenal for us. We had 23 baptisms this year. God has been so gracious to us. We had three baby dedications. Um, that's, that brings the number of, of baptisms uh, in the last three years up to 65. So we've baptized 65 folks. And there's many people that have come to faith here, and they got baptized as a baby. Uh, and we don't rebaptize them because we, we say you were baptized and, uh, by, you know, uh, by your parents in faith, and, and if we, we don't need to rebaptize you. So it's not just like this is how many people have come to faith. Uh, we've had more people come to faith. And there's the number that we all know and love. And this was like, somebody put, I think, I, think, uh, I don't remember what the number was. It was like, I don't know, but it's a lot more births over than last year, okay? We've had 14 births this year. We've had seven marriages uh, for the glory of God. Go ahead and go to the next slide, brother. And uh, financially, God's been really gracious to us. Um, we've had, I'm just going to go down to 2014 total, $320,000 given to Sacred City Church, that's, uh, I can't do that math, that's a lot more than last year, <laughs> 56,000 or something like that, I can't do the math right off the top of my head, uh, and look at this, look at this right here, this, this blows me away, I, I, Rev emailed me this, this, like, yesterday, and I had to email him back, like, wait, wait, are you sure about this, we've had $24,400 already given to move the mission forward in 2014, that's not even pledged, that's not including the pledge numbers. 24000 already given to plant this other, other church in Moline. 
just blew, blew me away. Uh, look at this number. Man, this gets me stoked. $56,000 is what we've given to church planning this year. Given. Or it's in, we've got some of it. You can see it right here. Heights Church. That's the guy uh, in uh, 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 Collinsville. Thank you, Illinois. It was just a video on. We've given them $6,000. Uh, Warnell Road Baptist Church this is a friend of one of our members here at Sacred City. Um, he had had a, he had a back. He was a church planner, and he had a back surgery this year. And we reached out to him and said, "Hey, man, can we just pay that off? Because it's it's really really hard to be planting a church and be trying to pay bills off." And so we just paid off his medical bills. Um, so we did that for him. And then we have uh, thirty one thousand in our church planting savings account. That's basically the moving mission forward um, that we're we're going to use to to plant to plant this church. Uh, we've given over $10,000 this year to Fishers of Men. That's the work that we, we do. Pastor Joshua is here with his family up in the balcony, I see. And we, uh, we've, we're planting churches in Africa, in Kenya specifically. We've got, I think, 14 or 15 men that we're raising up over there. We're educating them right now to be church planters. 30 more people are joining in that process this year. So we are really excited to be spending some good money to plant churches, not just here in the Quad Cities, not just in the Midwest, but all around the world. And then we gave th just over $3,000 back to the Acts 29 network uh, just for administration and other fees and, and things like that so they can further, uh, they can send that church planting to other places that we don't even know about. So, um, like I said, I don't look back very often. I'm just blown away. I'm just absolutely blown away. And I know Tammy's here. I don't see Brent here from the financial team. But we go through, we do have financial meetings month after month after month. And it's just kind of like, okay, we go through it. And, oh, we, we made budget. Things are great. But then when we look back a year over and we say, look what, look what the Lord has done. And, guys, let me see this. If you ask me how's the church going, this, is, this should be our stock answer. Better than we deserve. How's the church going? Better than we deserve. And this isn't happening because of my phenomenal leadership. If you're around me at all, you know I'm not that big of a deal at all. Like, I am probably a bigger hindrance to this happening than actually making it happen. This is the Lord. This is God at work through the gospel, living in community and on mission. Every single one of you in missional communities, you're a part of this. Uh, your generosity, you guys are bringing them in. You guys are baptizing people. That's what we do at Sacred City. If, you, if somebody comes to faith, you brought them, you baptize them. I'll help you so you don't drown anybody. But, you know, but, but you do it. And I, I want us to kind of... I wanted two things to happen. I know I'm going long, but I wanted two things to happen. One, I wanted us to look back and go, wow. God started this in the book of Acts, and God's still doing it now. He's still at work. He's still renewing. He's still on mission. He's still saving people, bringing them into community and on mission. I wanted us to thank him for all these. These are all, why do we celebrate this? Because it's measurable things. Joel prayed before, or no, I think it was, Jarek prayed before service. We can't measure how many meals we've had together. We've had a lot of meals together, have we not? right? I've had a lot of cigars with some of you, right? I've enjoyed every one of them, okay? We've had a lot, we've, ma we've made meals for a lot of people. We've met each other's needs. Like these are, we've done things that you just can't be measured. How many times have we shared the gospel? I have no idea, right? How many times have we brought our neighbors something? How many times have we, I don't even know. We can't measure those things, but we can measure some of these, so we want to look back and be really thankful for what God's done in us. But then also, I told the guys, I, I just kind of want to double down, like, this is what we're called to. Make disciples in a missional community. This is what church is. A family on mission for the glory of God. Serving each other, just in the normal rhythms of everyday life. Eating together, praying together, teaching. 
This is what we're going to do. So we're, we're not going to do anything different in 2015 than we did in 2014. We're just praying God would add to our numbers daily. We're praying that God would help us be faithful and stay true to the gospel, that he'd take us all deeper into the gospel. We'd understand scripture better this year. We'd walk closer with Jesus more this year than we did last year. And we would see our neighbors and our friends and our family come to know Jesus and come to believe the gospel, come to know we've got a great dad and they could be a part of our family. So let's look back and let's thank him, but let's also look forward and let's say, hey man, what's, what's 2015? What's it gonna hold for us? What's God gonna do? And I, I do believe... Um, I don't believe in making New Year's resolutions, but I do believe in being hopeful in 2015. And it doesn't matter what what 2015 is going to bring. We know our God is faithful. We know he'll bring us through it. We know that he'll be faithful and kind and gracious to us. If it's growth, if it's if if something bad happens, and, and you know this year we we move backwards, you know. God's going to be faithful to us. But we can be hopeful because we know he's at work renewing all of creation for his glory. And that in the end, we're going to have a totally renewed earth. We're going to be completely redeemed. We're going to have no sin and no pain and no shame. And everything's going to fix. Everything's going to be made right. And that's going to happen. So we can be hopeful in 2015 that we're going to work towards that. We're going to see our homes come under that. The kingdom kind of break in and our missional communities and other pockets of the city. But we're hoping to see some of that thing. One of the things that's, that might be changing a little bit, or not changing, but I'm just going to let you know this. I haven't even talked to anybody about it. They asked me to be uh, the chaplain for the Quad City River Bandits this year. So I'm praying that the Lord would have me start a new missional community who's on mission to the players and the organization and the, and the coaches of the Quad City River Bandits. So you can be prayer for that. You want to be, it'd be a, I mean, I'm probably going to do a Tuesday night missional community because we were, most of them are on Wednesday nights and some people can't make it. So I'm going mi- to switch it up, probably do a new Tuesday night missional community if you're interested in something like that. Because I'll be honest, I don't like baseball. It's the most boring game on the planet. But I'm going to have to act like I do for a little while. So I need some help. If you like baseball, I need some help. All right? Not enough fights in baseball or something. You know. So God's been really gracious to us. Let me pray, and then we're going to take the, take the supper. Father God, we don't want to take credit for what you've done in us and through us in this city. But we don't want to be that bold. We don't want to be that arrogant. Uh, Jesus, when you said, uh, you know what's in us, that we're evil, uh, that we can do nothing good, that wasn't hyperbole, that you, you, were, really, you were speaking truth there, we, we can't anything good without your spirit and because we have more people in this gathering and we have more money in the bank and we have more disciples that have been made over this last year uh, we look back and we say you've been at work you've done this great work and we thank you um, from a you know three and a half years ago not knowing anything about planting churches um, to this really healthy family that we have here it's been and it, all of our growth hasn't been up and to the right. You know we've had seasons of unhealth and seasons of sickness and seasons of division. It's been really difficult at times, and there's been drama. But, Father God, where we are right now is a season of health, and we, we look back and we thank you, and we rejoice for your kindness and your goodness that you're always faithful to us and that you're going to be faithful to us in 2015. Come sickness or health, death or life, no matter what it is, you're going to be there for us because you're good, you're sovereign, and you're gracious. Um, for those in this room that, that haven't, 
believed in Jesus Christ and in the gospel. We pray that they would believe this morning, that Peter, that repent and believe, turn from your sins and embrace Jesus Christ, and they would put their trust in Jesus, and they'd come, and they'd live in this community, uh, this missional community that we're in, and they'd live this life and be a part of this family, and they'd be sinners with us, uh, sinners who've been saved by grace, and we're being sanctified, uh, that we're becoming what we've already been made into, that you would do all this for your glory and for our good, and as the believers come down this morning, that we would kind of double down, Father, we would just recommit we would turn from our selfishness. We'd ask you to do more work in our heart, make us more humble this year, uh, make us more gracious this year, make us more passionate and bold in our evangelism and sharing the gospel with our friends and family, make us more aware of our own sin and even greater awareness of your grace and your love for us in Christ Jesus. Would you do all of this thing uh, right now at the supper as you give us your body and as we drink of your cup and of your blood that reminds us of the broken body of Christ and the, and the blood of Christ that's been spilled for all of our forgiveness. Would you do this for your glory and for our joy? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.